This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to the best Star Wars that we have had since Disney purchased Lucasfilm from George Lucas back in 2012. To me, this was the epitome of what Star Wars is. Now, I have a bunch of critiques about this episode. However, none of them are about the story and only about other things, which we'll get into. However, shout out to the 20,000 other people that were live in the watch party last night. We did a almost 10 hour stream with, you know, a two hour break. And I had a really fantastic time. I think there were a lot of emotions that were shared during the stream and everyone, for the most part, really enjoyed it. And I feel like a lot of people are really back in Star Wars now which is great, especially after everything that happened over the last 10 years. We have a ton to talk about today, so let's get right into it. Before we do, I want to let you guys know that there is 20% off site-wide on my merch shop. I'm going to link everything down below with the code. As we start the episode, we pan across the forest and the ruins of the pillars, of course, and we see the map that has been sliced in half by Balin's blade after Sabine gave it to him and decided to go with them. Hera and the X-Wings enter the scene as she reaches out to Carson Teva, who performs a sweep of the area to try and find Ahsoka. Jason Sindula and Chopper wander around. And for those who don't know, Jason Sindula is the son of Hera and Jedi Kanan Jarrus, who survived Order 66. Kanan trained Ezra Bridger. He also trained Sabine a little bit in lightsaber combat. And the master of Kanan was Depa Balaba, who was the student of Mace Windu. As they see Hu Yang analyzing the helmet of Sabine that he found in the forest, he is sad because he told them to stay together, but they never did, remarking that they never listen. And this can kind of be said about the Jedi altogether or anyone in the Clone Wars. They never really listened, and that's why a lot of things went wrong. Ahsoka and Anakin look at each other in the world between worlds. Now, I will say this is definitely the world between worlds. We can see that, sure, there are no portals and gateways, but the world between worlds is a place in between not only time, but the living and the dead. And it's a place where the dead can commune with the living, as Palpatine mentioned to Ezra in Rebels at the very end. So Ahsoka and Anakin look at each other in this place. And in the background, we can see all the different pathways and runways and things that lead to other places in the world between worlds, which is really an infinite place. Now, briefly, I'll say the world between worlds is a place between the living and the dead, as Palpatine said. So there are a lot of theories for this place that we can dive into maybe at the end here or in another video. However, personally, I think that perhaps this was indeed Anakin Skywalker and not some trick or illusion from the sun. Ahsoka says Anakin looks the same and he laughs and says, you look old. She questions what is going on and he says that she lost the fight badly and that he's here to finish the training. Now, this sparks a lot of theories that maybe Anakin is the father, he's the balance between the light and dark, and maybe he's here now in the world between worlds as the chosen one to kind of bring balance to everyone that comes here, but we can dive into that more later. He says he's here to give her a chance to live, to finish her training, and she scoffs and says it's a little late for that. Resentment, of course, in her voice for turning into Vader and perhaps her abandonment of the Jedi and how they treated her. He says one is never too old to learn snips, 
What he means is, even as old as he was as Vader, he was never too old to learn that he was wrong and to change his ways, of course when Luke came in the picture. Anakin ignites his blue lightsaber and asks Ahsoka if she wants to live or die. This is pretty weird. Everyone during the live stream was like, what the heck is going on? Even she was taken aback. And he's basically giving her this ultimatum, this test to see how much she wants to live and to kind of change her way of thinking because right now she's just kind of coping. She's just sort of trudging along and not very happy with her life. So he wants to make her wake up and realize what she's actually living for and why she needs to fight. And we go through a pretty beautiful journey to do that. So this breakdown is pretty much going to be all about that. Hopefully she chooses to live and not just survive, which is the point that he's trying to make by fighting her. He says, live or die. And as she says she won't fight him, he says, I've heard that one before. Now, where he's heard this one before is, of course, in Return of the Jedi, when Luke tells him that I will not fight you, father. And this is at minute 1 hour 49, 15 seconds, as he says atop the stairs, and Vader goes to strike him quickly, just like here with Anakin and Ahsoka, where she ignites her lightsaber in the air as she goes to block. We see Anakin fighting the way Nick Gillard trained Hayden, and the two go at it, master and apprentice. I personally wish that Nick was hired for the choreography. I feel like the choreography really took me out of all of the scenes, as badass and cool as it was to see Anakin fighting again. It just doesn't feel the same without Nick Gillard, and I think that it's time they hire him for the job. Jason Sindula can hear their lightsaber strikes as he overlooks the ocean. His connection to the Force is strong. He calls Hera, his mom, over and tells her that he hears the lightsabers. He can hear into the world between worlds as Ahsoka and Anakin fight, and the music swells beautifully where we become very emotional. Now, personally, I thought this scene was a little bit interesting, but I mean, the world between worlds is still a place where you can tap into the Force. However, it's a very distant place that doesn't really exist, yet does exist, kind of like in a purgatory, in a place that isn't within the galaxy itself. It's almost in the Force, in a sense. So the fact that Jason can hear it, it tells a lot about his possible unique abilities. I think he'll make a very fine Jedi, depending, you know, on what kind of proper training he gets and who trains him. In my opinion, it'll probably be Ezra. Now, what I didn't like, and this is probably one of my only complaints of the episode story-wise, is that Hera can hear it too, once she focuses. She should not feel or hear anything. I think it should be a sacred thing and a very limited thing for only Force users to hear these kinds of things into the world between worlds. Now, Anakin and Ahsoka fight, and we see his iconic behind-the-back move as she finds an opening and throws a Force punch, telling her he hasn't taught her everything yet, as he cuts the floor beneath her feet and smirks. He transports them to the Clone Wars. This was a very emotional scene. I was extremely emotional during the scene, during the live stream, and I know a lot of you guys were too, because we only suspected we would get something like this, but never thought we'd actually, you know, when you see it, it's just totally, it's just, it just catches you by surprise. So this was one of their first missions together, and I think, and I was confirming with Chad on this, is that this is the planet Ryloth, and I'm guessing this because of the Twi'leks there. This can be seen in season one, episode 19 of The Clone Wars. I believe it was called Battle Over Ryloth or something like that. And we'll get into the nitty gritties of it in a minute here. It was really cool seeing a younger Anakin in Clone Wars armor with shorter hair. Now Ahsoka says she doesn't understand, and he says, that's your problem, as they run through the fog. 
The Phase 1 clone troopers running alongside them as LAAT gunships land in the background, transporting and delivering more troops. This is from The Clone Wars Season 1, Episode 19, Storm Over Ryloth. She disobeyed the Admiral and Anakin, where she tried to take out the battleships so that Obi-Wan could get through. She disobeyed orders and clones died. She lost many of her pilots, the cruiser, a redeemer, and an entire squadron of fighters. Ahsoka consoles the injured and dying clone on the stretcher with face wounds as she grabs his hand. We see Anakin and Rex in the background talking about the mission with some Twi'leks. We also notice the clones are Phase 1 and not yet Phase 2 as we see further into and around Episode 3 Revenge of the Sith. Also, the clones have blue stripes, at least most of them, not just the grunts, which means they are part of the 501st, which are loyal to only Anakin. These are Anakin's clone troopers. Ahsoka tells him that they lost so many, and he tells her that's the price of war. So she blames herself, and this is what Anakin is trying to change, is that she's always blaming herself for extrinsic factors, such as him turning to the dark side. This is where the heart of it lies. He says, as Jedi, it's their job to lead. It doesn't mean they don't make mistakes and losing lives is part of the job. She realizes this isn't what she trained for. And this is what Anakin says as well, that when he became a Jedi with Obi-Wan, they were keepers of the peace, not soldiers, like Master Mace Windu says. He tells her, you must adjust to the times. She has a real problem with training a Padawan, she says, when it comes to just about fighting instead of the ways of the Force. So Anakin makes a joke about teaching not being all it's cracked up to be, and she gets angry, wondering how he can make jokes at a time like this. He gets stern and tells her that he's teaching her how to lead, and that fighting is the only way to survive. She says, what if I want to stop fighting? Then you'll die, he said. This is the training. This is it right here, guys. So she lost the fight because she has been depressed. Ahsoka the Grey, she was wearing all grey. She didn't fight to live. She fought to survive, not to live. And constantly in her mind, holding herself back by blaming herself for other factors, like, you know, losing parts of the Clone Wars, losing her friends, losing the clone troopers, and of course losing Anakin Skywalker to the dark side, blaming herself for pretty much everything, saying that it's her fault. She had no confidence anymore. There's a difference that he's trying to teach her. The same is being echoed here with her as a kid. She wants to stop fighting, and he says, you'll die. Failure is not what ends you. Failure only happens when you stop trying again, when you stop getting back up, when you stop fighting. Hera and Hu Yang continue the search over the ocean for Ahsoka, and he says she's definitely around here somewhere. Hera says Ahsoka is tenacious, and Hu Yang says so is her master. So it's cool, like this episode, we really get to learn a lot about Anakin or and how the other characters perceive him. Hera asks what he was like, and Hu Yang squints, saying, intense. Anakin at the Jedi Temple was known to be the most intense Jedi there. If you guys know the lore and the background in Legends and Canon, he was more powerful than most of the Jedi Masters, including the ones on the council, and his emotions controlled him, which were as rampant as his powers in the Force, and this made him very dangerous, which leads us to our next scene here. Now Ahsoka is at the Battle of Mandalore, the Siege of Mandalore, and she's going nuts with the lightsaber fighting against the Mandalorians, the Maldalorians, I should say, the ones loyal to Darth Maul. And this is really beautiful choreography. I really actually enjoyed this. I thought it was very engaging, very fast, and I think that's very akin to how Ahsoka used to fight during the Clone Wars herself, whereas now she's just much more methodical and 
just thinks of every move, I believe, a little more carefully before she does it. This is a different Ahsoka that we have here, at least Ahsoka the Grey is. So at this point in the Clone Wars, Season 7, Anakin was about to execute Count Dooku on the Invisible Hand ship, and Darth Maul was the leader of Mandalore, which they're here now to stop his reign. So this moment here, where she goes to talk to Darth Maul, we basically have Anakin, Obi-Wan fighting Count Dooku. And then of course we all know when Order 66 happens on the Venator, that's when Anakin is marching the temple. Captain Rex, with Tamura Morrison's voice, which is beautiful, tells Ahsoka that he'll secure the perimeter with the boys. It was awesome seeing Captain Rex in live action and of course hearing Tamura. This is our first interaction with Rex, so it was really nice to see him, and I hope we'll get to see an old Rex in the show. Shout out to all the Clone Wars fans. Anakin appears in the smoke and says he doesn't know this battle. And of course, that's because he was on the Invisible Hand ship at the start of Revenge of the Sith. Ahsoka tells him that they had parted their ways by now, and of course they had because he had given her her blue lightsabers. He tells her she's a warrior as he trained her, and that within her is everything that he is, all the knowledge he possesses, just as he inherited all the knowledge of his master, and before him, his master, Qui-Gon Jinn. This is their legacy. And it's really true, because it's kind of cool in that sense, because Yoda taught a lot of people, and through the tree, you know, through the grapevine, you kind of end up at your last Padawan. And we can trace this all the way back to some of the oldest Jedi out there, right? So like Kanan can be traced back to Mace Windu, who can be traced back to Yoda, who is connected to Count Dooku because Yoda trained both of them at different times. So this is where things change and Ahsoka starts to confront Anakin about his power and danger and that he turned to the dark side. This is where Anakin starts to really teach her a lesson. He gets angry and says, is that what all this is about? Because I made a choice to turn to the dark side, basically. Then that is going to be your destiny as well. She still doesn't get it. She's too hung up on the past, on him becoming Darth Vader and other people's actions and blaming herself for it or for thinking that's going to be her legacy one day too. He turns his back on her like he did to Obi-Wan when he said, if you're not with me, then you're my enemy, and ignites his red lightsaber, and we see his Sith red eyes. She still doesn't want to fight him as he recites the line, live or die. This is all a test around one thing. Listen carefully, guys. The need to live, the desire to live. So he turns on the darkness within him to see how she reacts, creating the perfect balance of light and dark for her test. To see what she's all about, this is the balance of Anakin, this is the chosen one. He fights her as first Anakin Skywalker in the Clone Wars, the light side version, and then fights her as Vader, the dark side version. This is the first time that we see Anakin's hilt with the red. He puts her in an arm lock, which reminded me of when he choked Obi-Wan out, sticking the bottom of his hilt in between her elbow and pushing down on her wrist to close her arm, almost breaking her elbow. He force pushes her through the fog and into the world between worlds again as he charges at her, where he says, you lack conviction in half of Vader's mechanical voice and half of Anakin's voice. So this is clearly portraying that Anakin and Vader are now basically one and the two entities have morphed into this one being where they're now fighting Ahsoka. She's not fighting Anakin anymore, she's fighting Vader on Mustafar. Or, well, really, Vader, but just in Anakin's body. So he pushes her, he fights her, he tests her, and allows her to take his saber just the same way that he took Dooku's in the same sort of movement. You couldn't see because it was a little bit too pushed in, a little too zoomed in, but it did look like the same move where she moves downwards, and takes his saber from him. And I know a lot of people are really angry and saying, oh my God, Ahsoka beat Anakin. There is no way that Ahsoka beat Anakin. 
He was testing her. He was doing all of this to make her realize that she wants to live, that she wants to be alive, and that she chooses to live. And so this is why he allowed her to do that. I mean, just look at the fighting between him and Obi-Wan, who were actually trying to kill each other, versus the fighting with him and Ahsoka. There is a very big difference. Now, as she pushes the red saber closer to him, her eyes turn Sith red orange only for a moment, then back to normal as she collects herself and throws the saber away, telling him, I choose to live. The training is now complete. Anakin steps back, his eyes return to normal, showing us that he has the control that he always needed to turn from the dark side back to the light and vice versa. He smiles and he says, there's hope for you yet. Meaning, I think here, that this isn't the last time that we're gonna see him. As you guys remember, there are some extra lines in the trailers about Ahsoka fighting droids and him saying that you're not going to be fighting droids here in this mission or something like that. And we didn't hear that at all yet. So I think unless they cut it out, we're definitely going to be getting more Anakin Skywalker in the next few episodes. We've got three episodes left, so there's still a lot of hope here. The ground melts away into water and she combines her reflection with herself, old and young, and submerges herself into the water. Like a baptism, renewing herself and cleansing, purifying. She is now Ahsoka the White, like Gandalf the White. The positive, hopeful, happy Ahsoka that we always knew has now returned. She no longer blames herself for Anakin's downfall, no longer connects her fate to his. She is free and pure, very much like Morai, the embodiment of the light side, the daughter, who I think honestly might have been the one to pull her into the world between worlds, or it's because of her connection to this god, to this deity, to this light side deity, that she was able to survive, that she was able to go into the world between worlds and speak to Anakin and learn one final lesson. Ahsoka is saved in the depths of the ocean by the New Republic, and she recovers and wakes up to see Jason playing with Chopper as Hera stands by. She dons a white cloak and greets them. Jason goes with Hu Yang as he asks him to be trained and to build a lightsaber, and you know, he's denied. It's a pretty funny scene, but you can tell there's a lot of enthusiasm with Jason, and I'm not sleeping on him yet. I think, you know, he could be a really cool character as we move forwards with more shows and things like that, eventually being trained by either Ezra, maybe Luke, who knows. Ahsoka talks with Hera, and she uses psychometry, a powerful, unique ability to some Jedi like Quinlan Vos and Cal Kestis, where you focus on an object, able to hear the echoes of what happened with the object, who was involved, what happened to it, and where it's been. She hears the voices of Balin and Sabine as she feels Sabine's betrayal, going with Balin to save Ezra. She tries to figure out how to save her and get the coordinates when she hears the Pergil. These are the space whales in the sky. She looks up and sees them flying. Now, you might remember these from Rebels. These were the same creatures that originally transported Thrawn and Ezra into hyperspace. So she can use her beast control power to ask them to take her where they took Thrawn and Ezra originally. This might not be where Thrawn is, but it'll be a step in the right direction at least. Now, if you remember in The Mandalorian Season 3, when Grogu and Din were going into hyperspace, Grogu was looking at a pergil that was near him as they were both traveling in hyperspace together. Mon Mothma tells Hera that she's about to be investigated by the Senate, and they want to strip her title of General for going on this unsanctioned mission to stop Balin and Elsbeth from retrieving Thrawn. The New Republic is very grumpy with her. Ahsoka flies into the sky with Hu Yang, gets out of the ship, and uses beast control like we saw her do in Tales of the Jedi 
to that tiger beast creature. This is also a power that Anakin Skywalker uses in Episode 2 Attack of the Clones against the Reek in the Genosian arena during the Battle of Genosis, just before Yoda and the clone troopers showed up. The Purgle opens its massive mouth, they fly in and land on its tongue as they head into space and get sent into hyperspace with the whales as Hera and the New Republic fleet watch them and kind of get out of their way. So overall, I give this episode a 9 or 9.5 out of 10. The few things that took me out of it were Nick Gillard not being the stunt choreographer for this. I think a lot of the moves that were expressed in this episode could have been so much better. You know, especially after seeing Anakin in the prequel trilogy, I think we all have this very close affinity to seeing Anakin move the way he used to. And that's simply because of the training that he had from Nick Gillard, you know, Hayden's training. So I think it would only be wise if we were to hire the same master choreographer, the master swordsman, to do these kinds of fight scenes to make it feel as authentic to Star Wars as it always has. But hey, that's not my choice. You know, that's, I guess, Dave or Disney or whoever. I will be creating a petition to see how many votes we can get for people to want Nick Gillard to get back on Star Wars and to see his fight choreography back in the shows and the movies. I think that's really the best way to move forwards. And I've talked to him about this and he's all about it. He's all for it. So uh, it's definitely with his approval. Next episode will be a banger, I think, as Ahsoka heads to find Thrawn and Ezra, where perhaps we'll see more scenes with Anakin as his lines from the trailer haven't been used yet this episode, which makes me believe that there are still more scenes with him to be had. I think we'll meet more powerful antagonists in the next few episodes as well, where perhaps the Yuuzhan Vong or the Rakata will be found there. Now the Rakata were some of the first powerhouses in the galaxy. They were really evil and ruthless. I have a full video on them if you guys want to learn more about their lore, but essentially they were invading the first Force users on the planet Titan way before, you know, back in the Old Republic, like the very beginning. We also heard about them in canon in Andor, so go check out my video if you haven't already for a concise breakdown on their lore and who they are. So overall, this episode is a strong 9 to 9.5 out of 10 for me. And that's for Disney era Star Wars. You know, that's not for George Lucas Star Wars. So I don't want you guys to get confused. I think this is some of the best Star Wars that we've gotten since the acquisition of Lucasfilm and the departure of George Lucas. I think Dave Filoni Star Wars is going to be the closest thing that we'll ever get to George Lucas Star Wars going forwards. Unless Disney can maybe understand that Dave Filoni is the key to all of this. After all, George did train him and he respects George and the story. He's a fan. I really enjoyed the scenes with Anakin. However, I was taken out of it with the choreography. I think they do need to hire Nick Gillard once again, as well as the Hera scene kind of took me out of it too, with her being able to hear into the world between worlds. Other than that, I was really hoping for a little bit more Anakin Skywalker. I feel like there were some more scenes that we could have seen, but hey, we might see him once again going forwards in episode six, seven, or eight. I just wish there was a little bit more of time spent on Anakin, maybe talking about what went wrong in Revenge of the Sith, maybe talking about how Ahsoka really wouldn't have prevented him from turning to the dark side, that it wouldn't have made a difference. Maybe pushing her through some sort of a world between worlds door where they would pass by little, I don't know, snippets of him fighting Obi-Wan or fighting someone else, maybe different parallel galaxies of scenarios that never happened and never could happen, of maybe seeing something like the mirror of Erised from Harry Potter, where you know, we get to see like the happiest memory of Anakin and Padme and Luke and Leia and he's in the light side and he's alive and he's a dad, you know, so 
I think there's a lot of stuff that could have definitely been done. However, maybe they're leaving it for another time or they just wanted to make it super concise. But I felt like there was a lot that they cut out with the Anakin scenes. But I guess we'll see. Anyways, really fantastic episode overall. It was absolutely such a treat to see Hayden again and to see him in a way that we haven't seen him before. You know, we haven't seen him in this newfound style of being so collected and calm and wise. And I think that he's, you know, developed his training even more in the world between worlds or wherever this is in the afterlife and really now fulfilling his prophecy of the chosen one beyond death of the physical. So I'd like to dive more into about that and learn more with what Anakin's journey is going forwards. I hope you guys enjoyed today's breakdown. Please leave a like on the video if you did, and I'll see you all in the next one. Until then, remember the Force will be with you always.